Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I just want to thank you for your practice, and um, I'm sure I speak for all three of us that uh, it's um, it's a real gift to to be together in practice. I was just saying that in our small group meeting that I, I don't know if you can feel it, but there's a there's there's a palpable container that that strengthens over time when people come together and sit and practice together in silence. So just just a deep appreciation for your dedication and uh, for just showing up. That's for beginning again because it it does take uh, it takes perseverance and it takes energy and uh, and you're all you're all engaged in that. So thank you for what you're offering. You know, to yourselves, to each other, to us, and um, dare I say, to the world, uh, mm, we could use probably some more mindful attention in our world. Uh, and and there are many people that practice all over the world, just as we sit here today. Many, many people sitting and practicing. <clears throat> So I'd just like to do a little review, and then um, we'll practice today with, uh, with uh, meeting emotions. So let's just find a comfortable but uh, alert posture for yourself. You can support feeling awake as best as possible. Feeling the support underneath you, the chair or the cushion or the bench. And as you allow yourself to feel that back body, the energy of your spine, from tail to top of the head, Noticing how the front of the body can soften, relax, be at ease. And just rooting our attention as we've been practicing over these last several days, rooting our attention in this, uh, this the posture itself, the, the physical sensations of sitting, of the whole body sitting. And resting in that sense of touch, the sense of contact, perhaps, that your hands make with your legs.
bottom with the cushion or chair. Or the sense of the touch of the breath, or where you feel it in your body. So last night, Chaz was talking about um, introducing the the topic of the hindrances, um, as they're they're formally called in in Buddhist teaching. Um, as you've been perhaps noticing them and uh, meeting the hindrances, you, you might have noticed that what initially might be a hindrance turns into a doorway when we just offer it. A receptive attention. I'm, I'm imagining that many of you have experienced this just from that teaching last night. These aren't just teachings or practices for formal retreat. What happens on a formal retreat is we get to we get to delve into them intensively. We get to work with them or practice with them intensively over a short period of time. And our, our systems are designed to learn. So as we learn these practices, we can actually use them in our lives and apply them in our lives in, in ways that really can make a profound difference between living in misery and actually experiencing some relative peace of mind. Even in the midst of the worldly conditions that we face, personally, nationally, globally. So these practices are are really in support of living an awakened life. One of the things that you may have noticed in your practice is the arising of emotions, what in, the, in our Western world we would call emotions. In, in Buddhist psychology, uh, they're called um, mind states or states of mind. Uh, you don't need to really worry about that, but there, there is a distinguishing uh, languaging around it. And um, the reason why they're called states of minds, if you, if you start, and we will work with investigating emotions, um, there are different components to emotions. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're very familiar with that. Like just to, for an example, if let's say there's the emotion of fear or anxiety arising, oftentimes there's a physical component with that. And, and oftentimes there's a mental component. There's, there are thoughts that can uh, both feed emotions or uh, 
or be the, the product of emotions. I'm not suggesting that you try to figure out which comes worse, because I, I personally, when I do that, it just drives me crazy. So it's more like, let's just agree that they exist. <laughs> and, um, and if you're sitting here saying, well, yeah, maybe they exist and I know what they are, but I haven't felt one feeling the whole time I've been here so far. Please don't worry about that. You know, our, our spiritual awakening happens on its own, actually. It's a natural unfolding, and it has its own innate wisdom. So we come, we do the practices, we apply ourselves, and then we kind of let go and, and let it happen. It's an interesting paradox, bringing these uh, uh, awareness practices to our experience. But in fact, our experience is just unfolding. And we bring more mindful, wise attention to that. So as you are practicing, let's just say, I'm just going to give examples. They may not have happened for you, but let's just say you're, you're in t- we've, been, we've been doing concentration practice for the last couple of days, meaning you know, focusing on the body and the breath, going back to the body and the breath. <clears throat> And you're, you know, that's your intention. You sit down, you're um, paying attention to your breath. You're, there's, there's kind of some momentum with that attention. There's maybe some steadying with it. Uh, or even if there isn't whatever you think of as steadying, you notice that, oh, you know, mine, mine was here in this particular story or thought, but oh, I'm just coming back right now, and that's, that's all right. There's less... There's less agitation even around noticing when we're not mindful. It's just like, okay, that's what's happening. Come back again. And you can feel the, the strength of that building and, and the, the, a greater ease. So if that's not happening for you, it doesn't mean you're not practicing well. What might be happening for you is big storms, you know, thought storms or emotional storms. You feel like you're on a roller coaster, no ground at all. Actually, we, we deepen in our practice when it's more difficult. Not that you'd like call it up and order it up like you would at a restaurant, but in fact it actually deepens and grows us in practice when we can be with what's unpleasant. Because our tendencies, just human tendencies, part of our DNA is to, is to retreat from what's difficult to seek what's more soothing, more comforting. It's certainly not to suggest if, you know, if you're in a situation and fear arises because there's a car coming towards you, you know, that you just stand there and go, fear, fear, fear. <laughs> you're going to move. <laughs> Maybe even make a sound. This happened to me last week. I was in a crosswalk, too. I was like, slow down. So when we open to our experience, all things arise. It's not about, I'd like this to happen and I'd like this to not happen, or even if that's going on in your mind, good luck. It doesn't work, does it? You might have a plan that way, but it doesn't work. We, we really actually trust as we sit on a cushion where it takes, it's, it's such a beautiful courage because we're trusting 
to our capacity. We're trusting our capacity to be with whatever arises. So for some of us, if not all of us, when, let's just say, when difficult emotions arise, for example, maybe you're doing the loving-kindness practice and you've picked uh, a person who's easy for you and something arises in your mind, either that you realize that you feel um, unsettled about with this person or angry with them, or maybe the thought of they're going to die comes up and, and suddenly a lot of fear arises. No. Or maybe you've had a sudden loss recently uh, and you're sitting and practicing and all of a sudden just the memory of that being comes up and, and the feelings, feelings arise with that. Whether it's you know fear or sadness or... Uh, Confusion. So how can we, how can we be with, in particular, I know I'm talking about in Buddhist psychology what's called the afflictive emotions or the challenging emotions, but many people will say it's also difficult to be with joy. It can be sometimes overwhelming. Or fear comes up right on top of it because, okay, I'm feeling joy right now, but I know it's going to change. You know, do you have, have you noticed that in your sitting where, you know, you might even have a few sittings or a sit-walk that feels like, wow, okay, I got it now. <laughs> you know, it's really smooth and feels wonderful. And then, then you have a sitting and it's not so wonderful and it feels rocky or difficult. And you think, well, what did I do wrong? What happened? Well, nothing happened. It's just, this is what's happening right now. You know, we, we think we can control our situation. And Pema Chodron wrote, um, has written many books, but one of them, I love the title, it's The Wisdom of Insecurity. You know, when we open up to life, we really see that changing nature of everything. We start to get it that actually we're not in charge. Well, that doesn't mean we don't take initiative in our lives or make plans. You know, but the plan here is to sit and be with what is. That's really the, the primary teaching, isn't it? And so as we're sitting with that particular feeling that's arising, let's just say grief, then we might notice what's happening in the body in relationship to that feeling. We might, if, if we have some stability of mind, we might actually just bring the attention to that area of the body where we feel it. Now, some of you might be saying, well, what are you talking about? I don't feel it in my body. That's okay. Maybe you just feel it the way you feel it. So just bringing attention to it. And then we might notice that there's stories, thoughts in the mind that go along with the feeling. So we just bring attention to that as well. The difference being is we're not here to figure it all out. So that's, that's the, you know, as many of you know, I also work as a psychotherapist, and, um, and so does Elisa. And so we, uh, 
you know, it's, it's a different process when you're in psychotherapy. They certainly, we could have a conversation about this later, but they certainly are, I think they form a wonderful marriage myself, Dharma practice and psychotherapy, Western psychotherapy. But that is a different place many, to, to really maybe work through, if you will, or understand the conditions of how, why is it that um, I have to tie my shoes perfectly or I hate mornings or I like alcohol a little too much or I always need a lover or I don't ever want a lover or I like donuts. You know, I want to get to the bottom of this. You know, or I, my bag has too many papers in it. You know, and, and the, you know, we certainly can make use in psychotherapy to understand you know, our lives and to, to work through suffering in that particular way can be very, very useful, particularly in a very trusting relationship. That's important, really important. Am I saying that every single one of you should be in therapy? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just honoring that work if you are engaged in it in one form or another or have. In Dharma practice, it's not about fixing anything. And it's actually not really about analyzing anything. Why? Because insight arises all on its own. You may have noticed that. You just practice, like doing the scales, and suddenly something becomes very clear to you. It's just very clear. It's almost like it pops. Anyone have that experience? Years ago on retreat, I I was like trying to get, trying to get peace, trying to get peace, really diligent student, like following the instructions, like perfectly, you know, or or near perfectly, you know, trying to improve it and really wasn't happening. You know, the peace wasn't coming. And then I, I, it was at night and I, I was sitting at the table out there and I had an orange and I was peeling the orange and my heart just exploded open. The tears just, it was something about the orange. There's the simplicity of just the, the color and the touch and the smell and, you know, feeding myself. I mean, I can't even tell you what it was. It, it just, my heart just opened, you know. And really what was happening is there was no efforting. It was just presence. And I'm sure some of you have had moments like that. So we we... We honor those moments because we can really rest in them. And when, when those moments aren't happening, we're cultivating our attention to strengthen that muscle to, to be with moments as they arise, even really difficult ones, even really difficult ones. So again, instead of analyzing or fixing or trying to get rid of, we just notice, can we meet, can we meet this feeling? in our own bodies, in our hearts, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, whether it's longing, whether it's loneliness, whether it's joy. What about shame? That's a nice one. I'm sure there's not one person in this room that hasn't felt that mental, emotional state. It seems unbearable, doesn't it? It seems like its very nature is unbearable. And yet, 
when we shine the light on it, just shining the light on it is just, I see you. Can I be with you? Oh, I'm going to die if I'm with this feeling. Well, check it out. See if you die. What happens in practice, and we'll have a chance to work with it shortly, what happens in practice is that we learn that really, that delusion that, that we're going to die. But someone said it the other night about um, the five minutes of sitting still. I was convinced that you know, I, couldn't, you know, I couldn't sit with this pain and then realized, like, actually, just because that thought was in my mind doesn't mean it was true. So if, it, if the thought is in your mind, I can't bear it, maybe we can just relate to that as a thought and then turn the attention to the feeling. Mindfulness of feelings, feeling the feeling in the feeling. Some people misunderstand Buddhist practice and end up in what we might call a spiritual bypassing, which is just noting the feeling either noting it or thinking it shouldn't be there. Like anger, it's a bad feeling, shouldn't be there. Fear shouldn't be there. Really? Tell me how you, how, tell me how you work that one out. You know, it's a misunderstanding of these teachings. The Buddha never said, don't feel your feelings. The Buddha said, mindful, mindful of what is. And you can bring that loving-kindness practice towards them as well. So it's the tone in our minds and hearts when we turn towards the feeling. What is that tone? What's the volume in your head? It's like, okay, I'm going to feel a feeling. She said feel a feeling. Or is it like, oh, this is overwhelming. Or is it like, oh, can I just touch maybe the edge of it, just the edge of sadness? I lost my dog, Rosie, um, in November. And, and she is definitely um, a benefactor to me, complete, complete love. She was my mother and my child and my best friend and everything. And um, sometimes, you know, just the thought of her will come up and it's just this wonderful joy. And sometimes it's just this heartache. Just this heartache, like, where is she? We all know this, whether it's your dog or a beloved or a dear friend. We all know this story. So when it arises, can we meet that feeling, whatever it is, with tenderness? Or maybe we've lost someone and regret arises, really regret. I wish I said this. I wish I did that. I wish I didn't do that. Or guilt or remorse. I remember Joseph Goldstein once talking about, this was in a public talk, he was talking about sitting in retreat here, and this memory came back from when he was a kid, and he didn't attend somebody's party, and the person got hurt, I mean, because a lot of people didn't attend the party. And, and he said he just, he just, it just, the feeling was so painful. And someone said to him, well, that, that's... That was a long time ago. You know, you, you don't need to worry about that. And he said, no, I, I, I needed, you know, to feel that, just to allow that feeling to be there. We start to wake up and we feel our lives. And that is liberating. 
that is its own healing awakening. If we can meet it the best we can. So as I said, it might be meeting it at the very edge, or it might be, wow, you just, there's a lot of strength in your mind and heart, and you just can go right to the core of it. It's just like, let it rip. Just let it rip. Don't worry about if you're crying in the hall. You know, it's, you know, it's being human. Now, I'm not suggesting go digging for something. Well, yeah, the, the, the real core of the practice is finding emotions. Let's go digging and looking. That's just extra. It'll actually just stress you out. You know, just settle back. There's, no, there's nothing to dig for. Just see what arises. See what shows up. And I'll just say a little bit about um, the, um, the, the joyful feelings. You might say, well, that, that's not a problem. I can be with it. But you might have noticed that what happens with practice, like energy gets, um, it's almost like your battery gets supercharged. And often you can experience creative ideas that come up, creativity. And it can be really fun, like really exciting. So maybe the emotion you're noticing is excitement or joy. But that joy can shift quickly into kind of an over-exuberance where, you, where you, your system gets kind of overwhelmed. And so when you, you know, it's just helpful to notice it, like, oh, overwhelm, or, uh, or maybe you're, you're noticing some of the um, um, hindrances, if you will, the desire, like, I want to go write that book right now. You know, I need to write that poem. I have to write this down in my journal or else I'll forget it. Or I'm going to marry that person that's in the third row. You know, we call that a Vipassana romance. You know, you just, just, you just love the way they pick up the spoon. <laughs> you know, just the way they walk through the corridor, you know, the way they put their shoes on. It's just perfect, isn't it? <laughs> we can notice that feeling and all the story that goes with it. Like, oh, what's happening here? Like longing, desire. It can happen in the opposite. It's called the Vipassana Vendetta. (laughs) I hate how they pick up that spoon. I hate how they walk. You know, I mean, it happens. And it's really, it is like being caught in a bubble. When you see it in your own mind, it is funny. Because it's like we think we know that being. Hardly. Hardly. And then you come to a group meeting and you hear someone speak and, wow, it pops that bubble. We see our shared humanity in all our many variations of who we are. So let's practice with noticing emotion as it arises. So finding a a comfortable spot where your your body is... uh, both relaxed and alert, stable. And just settling into your into your practice as you do 
grounding, connecting with your body. And again, it may, there may be some, oh, you want to go looking based on what I just um, spoke about, but just please drop that. Just let, it, just let yourself be. Trusting, receiving, allowing. And you can just gently drop in the, in the intention that I will notice whatever arises as it arises. <clears throat> whether it's a feeling of gratitude, vulnerability, loneliness, If you notice there are stories that arise in your mind about yourself, either stories of praise, those tend to be the lower percentage for most of us, or stories of got to do better, not good enough, you can actually go to your body and feel the feeling underneath those stories. See if you can hang out with the feeling under the story. Just in a kind, present, mindful way. Again, you don't need to go looking at some point or another. It will just arise on its own. And you can meet that in your body, your heart. Just being present, being curious, being interested. Letting it have its own coming and going, because it will. If we get out of its way, it just arises, appears, and disappears. See if you can begin to notice that in whatever feeling states reveal themselves.
<clears throat> so that sitting was, as you noticed, it was, it was shorter, but uh, these instructions are offered for you to, to um, explore throughout your, your practice uh, during the day as, uh, as you continue. So are there any questions about these particular instructions or um, last night's offering on the hindrances? Or, you know, some of you may have questions about loving-kindness practice. But let's start with this practice that you're just offered this morning. And I'd like to invite anyone who hasn't had a chance yet to ask a question in the hall or maybe uh, if you have a group today, you could bring your questions there. So maybe someone who hasn't, uh, isn't, doesn't have a group today and um, hasn't spoken yet, just trying to open up the field for anyone who might like to ask a question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, questioner answered their question, <laughs> but I'll say it. It's great. It's, it's great to see that. It, you know, you, it builds confidence, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I just answered what I asked, but kind of want to hear more about it. You know, that's how I find often sometimes questions are. So the question is, how would you categorize judgment? You know, is it a hindrance? It's an interesting. I mean, it formally isn't uh, uh, itself the word judgment isn't a hindrance, but it would probably fall in the category of aversion. You know, it, it, the judging mind often isn't. I suppose you could say judging sometimes is it's different from the dis- discernment when we're using discernment to try to understand something, but judgment tends to fall in the category of not liking, not wanting, not accepting. And um, isn't it amazing to see how it like, it's like a choo-choo train. Woo. One time I remember Joseph saying, I just count them, 567, 568, you know, it, after a while, this is the beauty. Here's, here's the liberation aspect of these teachings. You just don't take it that seriously. Oh, there it is again. It's judging whether it's judging me, judging you, judging the weather. It's like... Now, it gets stickier when it's like, let's just say it's, it's yeah, it's with ourselves or with someone in our lives and we're, you know, we have some complexity as most of us do in relationships and you're like, well, so I just watch it all. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. We, we watch it and then we engage based on the wisdom and compassion underneath the judgment. Anything you want to add in terms of your own experience, what you've noticed? Maybe some Maybe some of you won't have any hindrances. Oh, I won't have a problem with that. <laughs> well, you know, think of it this way, it gives it gives it helps the mind from being bored. 
it gives you something to pay attention to, and it's kind of it can be uplifting. Like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's aversion. Oh, that's desire is a tricky word. We may talk about that more because it can seem so negative. But we could say that's that's wanting, or even that's grasping. You know, got to have more. That's that's a good way to understand the meaning of desire. Essentially, is uh, is planning considered a hindrance? I mean, it really depends on the quality. And if you think of, of, I mean, essentially, planning is thinking. That's one way to understand it. It's thinking. And and Chaz, I think tonight, Chaz, you're going to talk more about thoughts. So we'll 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 get into more just even the nature of thought tonight, and and probably the different kinds of thoughts. Uh, so again. Planning, I guess, could be a hindrance if there's a lot of aversive flavor to it, you know. But in and of itself, it's just planning. I mean, we plan a grocery list, you know. The thing about planning is, particularly when you're, when you're practicing a retreat, it's related to future thinking. Now, I had a one, te- one teacher say to me, um, whenever you think about the future, fear will always be present. And he, he always had, you know, very pithy, like, so confident. I'd be like, whoa, let me see. That's really true. And so I started to investigate it. And it's like, wow, it is. Like, even planning a grocery list is a little slight agitation. It's like leaning into the future. You know, does that mean we don't pl- make our list? Like, no. But it's really interesting to notice what's underneath. For the purposes of the, the um, instructions I just gave, when you notice planning happening, Go back to your body. Notice the feeling underneath it. That would be the, that would be kind of the um, rubber meets the road part of the practice, rather than just oh, planning mind, planning mind. Go back to the breath. Well, now you can just go underneath. Like what's happening? You might notice some agitation, or you might notice some excitement. Maybe you're planning to see your sweetie, you know. So that might be very pleasant one minute and very unpleasant the next. <laughs> humans <laughs> yes I found myself bunching up the teaching yeah yeah yes can um they're saying they found themselves bunching up the um teaching last night on the hindrances and the feelings today. Yeah, say more about that, because that makes total sense to me. I'm sure you're not alone. What, what did you notice with that?
You were what with the grief one? Passing is, yes. Yeah. 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 See, isn't it amazing the creativity of the mind that happens when we, it's, it's, so they're saying that uh, um, noticing desire and aversion, you know, that was, you know, instructions last night, and noticing when that comes up, that's great, really useful practice. And then, um, you know, just drawing on the teachings today and imagining um, a, a teddy bear, you know, um, uh, three different teddy bears, one with excitement, one with grief. What was the third one? Anything that came up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of bl- blending in the loving kindness practice with, yeah. You know, and I think, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's lovely to just see how our minds support us in waking up to what is you know the only thing i would add to that is you know when it arises in your experience let's say excitement so you have this little teddy bear here that's to me that sounds like a it's 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 offering kindness to that feeling which is beautiful and um skillful wholesome and then i would come back right to the body just noticing ah What's that feel like right here in the body? So we're meeting it kind of pure on, too. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, we need to end. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you will have your, note, your uh, group, some of you today, and, uh, you know, certainly there'll be, well, I don't know if there'll be time for question and answers t- tonight, but the, it'll, the answers will come, whatever questions you have. You know, they're not going to come from us anyway. It's going to come from you. This is all a mirage up here. (laughs) Okay. So um, another mirage is the bulletin board, um, even though it seems real. And um, the real part of it is that it's used for uh, notes from uh, the teachers or the retreat manager or staff to you as yogis and vice versa for if you need to, notes to us. What happens, remember I was talking about that creativity and the open-heartedness and the joy? Um, and believe me, I'm, I'm one who has in the past left big love notes on the board to the whole community. And they are, you know, they can be very heartening to see and to read. And at the same time, they can also unintentionally disturb somebody's silence. So this is not, I am not suggesting anyone feel bad for any note you left, but I'm just asking as a community that we continue with that commitment of silence by not leaving um, open notes on the bulletin board, just so we're holding the space for everybody. However, when you have that impulse to write a love note, because it's so sweet, notice the feeling in your own body. Notice the feeling in your own body that, that just the sense of appreciation or joy or that expression, and, and actually hang out with the feeling. Let it, let it be there. You don't have to give it away. Just let it be there in its fullness and rising and passing. Equally so when you want to write a note about something that pisses you off. <laughs> notice the feeling. Let it be. You know, notice the burn, the fire, the righteousness, whatever's there. Just be with it. It'll rise. It'll pass away. It's not yours. You don't own it. It's not permanent. It's there. Just be with it. So can we agree to do that? 
It's a great practice. It's, it'll deepen your practice. Um, yeah, and just a reminder, if anyone needs like basic medicine, like aspirin, Advil, anything like that, there is a medicine um, cabinet. Am I right? It's in the downstairs bathroom. It's in the bathroom uh, on the Karuna hallway, right outside the dining room. And you're welcome to, if you need um, basic medicine, to, to go and to use the uh, closet. Just, you know, do your hands before and after. So, okay. So now there are groups. If you are not, if you didn't have one yesterday and you're not signed up today, you'll have one tomorrow. Um, and um, a, just a real invitation from all three of us that it's so precious to be on retreat. Even if you're like counting the hours when you get to get out of here, you'll get home and be like, oh, I wish that retreat was longer. You know, or I'm going to go on another one. Um, the continuity of practice is so essential, and it's actually really not hard. It's just surrender to the practice. Sit, walk, sit, walk, go for it. Give it to yourself. It's a gift. It's not a torture. It's a gift. And it will strengthen everything we're talking about here. It, it, it bears fruit. I mean, it's really true. Otherwise, I wouldn't be coming back here 40 years later. So, so just invitation to offer yourself that and to yourselves and to each other. You see someone walking meditation, then you, you walk. You know, you're giving someone a gift when you do walking because it invites them to do the walking too. So may it, may it unfold as it does. <laughs>